Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and usually the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will, Will Marlowe. I am a guy who has uh, worked in Hollywood on uh, numerous film productions, and for a while I was a development executive at a small production company in Hollywood. And today we have, as our most illustrious guests, Jay Scherer returning, co-host of the Story Geeks. Hi, Jay. Hi, it's good to be here. Always good to talk to you, Will. Yeah, it's always good to have you on. We also have with us Megan, who is a podcaster and movie geek. Hi, Megan. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, is there anything else you wanna you wanna tell the world about yourself, Megan? Well, as you you pointed out, I am a huge movie geek. I usually talk about horror movies on my YouTube channel, Silver Screams, but I'm also a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and I've done numerous podcasts on the topic and various series uh, about <laughs> that take place within the MCU. And I also have a a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost. So I'm sort of all over the place movie and TV wise. Oh my God. I'm going to have to listen to that because Lost is one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, it's, uh, well, I hope you don't judge me too harshly because the whole premise of our podcast is that my co-host Will Link loves Lost and I don't. And we talk about it. <laughs> I think that's the perfect uh, team up for Lost podcast because it was very divisive in the end, wasn't it? It really was. And that's why we're going back and going on that journey together to see if uh, if we happen to be able to change the other person's mind. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, that that's that's I'm actually glad you brought that up, because one of the things that I like to do with this podcast is present a uh, a diverse array of opinion. So even though, you know, I may love a movie or a show like, say, Lost, I don't shy away from criticisms of it because, you know, I think we all want our art to be better. So but finally, but not not leastly. We have Amanda joining us. Uh, she is a freelance journalist with an affinity for nerd culture. Hi, Amanda. Hi, everybody. I'm excited to be here. Now, Amanda, I'm just going to let the audience know you had you had written an article in, was it Miss Magazine? Yeah. About uh, Captain Marvel. And when I found that, I thought, oh, this is, this is the woman that needs to be on the podcast with us <laughs> talking about Captain Marvel, too. I appreciate it. That piece was... Um... Like the movie, uh, it was very divisive. People had a lot of opinions about it. Yeah. I'm kind of glad I got to stir that pot, I guess. Yeah, you know, and that whole fracas, uh, or whatever you want to call it, the, the the seemingly divisive nature of the movie, which I think a lot of the outrage was just kind of manufactured online, but whatever. Absolutely. Uh, I think that actually makes uh, this a, a really interesting topic to talk about this particular MCU movie in terms of what a sequel might look like, because it is one of the few franchises, you know, in the MCU that we haven't had a sequel for up to this point. Yeah. And it, it lends itself to the idea that um, if they want to do justice for Captain Marvel, um, they either have to decide to do a sequel or give in to some of that fan pressure like Star Wars did with Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, again, lots of division in the fandom with Star Wars as, uh, you know, if, if you weren't aware of that, we'll just mention that now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. 
but but I think yeah I think that is is one of the reasons that this makes for is going to make for really interesting conversation. So I want to start just by asking everybody's thoughts really briefly about the first Captain Marvel movie, and then in addition to your thoughts on you know that first movie, how do you think that that movie stacks up against the other MCU movies? And let's start with let's start with Amanda here. Okay, I'm a huge. MCU nerd and I've seen all of the movies so many times and we rewatched Captain Marvel last night just to see if over the last few months my thoughts on it have changed at all and they definitely have not. As much as I love the premise of Captain Marvel and I love having a female protagonist for the first time in Marvel's cinematic history, I think that the movie overall was not their best movie. And I think that in relation to the rest of the MCU universe, Captain Marvel was just sort of okay. But I really enjoyed it from the perspective of watching Brie Larson just be really sassy and <laughs> getting to see the the Kree and to see all of the really fun cinematic effects. But they could have done so much more. And I'm hoping that perhaps a sequel will spur more character development for our captain, and a little bit more character development around her. Well put. Well put. Megan, what are your thoughts on this? Kind of to, to sort of echo that sentiment, I I liked the movie. I had a lot of fun and I enjoyed it, but it came out at a time where the MCU had done so many origin stories that I was feeling a little origin story fatigued. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so as a result, I walked out of the theater going, I enjoyed myself, but it was just another origin story movie. You know, it was a little paint by numbers in terms of like the MCU style of introducing a superhero. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate them trying to mix up that formula a little bit by giving her amnesia and her discovering her origin at the same time we are. The kind of nonlinear nature of how it was presented. Yeah. Yeah. um, But... I mean, that's the that's the main thing that set it apart. That being said, it was still a lot of fun seeing her finally come into her own at the end and actually access her full powers. Like I got I got chills during the scene where she was able to access her full abilities. And that's it's super, super fun. But as far like I said, uh, as far as origin stories go, though, it's just it's just OK. But. Like, yeah, and there's a lot of untapped potential. Like, I would have loved to have seen them dive more into her interpersonal relationships on Earth, especially Mm -hmm. since she had been gone for so long and she just disappeared and everyone thought she was dead. Like, there's a lot you could have done emotionally speaking with that. But I I like the direction they took, the the surprising direction they took with the scrolls. I'm a big fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I loved seeing the Kree everywhere. Nice. (laughs) Um, So that was a lot of fun, too. So all in all, I had a good time. But I think it's just sort of middling as far as where it stacks up with the rest of the MCU films. It's it's by far not the worst. Like, it's not Thor the Dark World. Um, or anything like that, but it, I also, but like, like I said, it's just kind of another origin story. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Quick shout out for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. We really enjoy that show too. And actually a friend of ours uh, works in VFX on that show. 
We stand agents of shield in this household. <laughs> Excellent. So Jay, what are your thoughts on the first Captain Marvel and how it stacks up against the other MCU movies? Well, I think uh, Amanda and Megan both had fantastic takes on it, actually. One thing I noticed as I started talking to people after I had seen the movie was I realized very quickly that the movie wasn't made for my demographic. Like, mm. so as, as well, I guess then I would have been 37, 38, I'm 39 now. And as a male, like it wasn't made for me specifically. I'm more like a secondary audience for this film, which by the way, is fantastic. Like it should be, you should make a film for the female audience and it should be a really strong film. And I think in many ways this was, I think a lot of women that I, that I talked to, they saw things in it that I didn't see in it since it wasn't made for my demographic. And I appreciated it a lot more after I had spoken to them about it and got a feel for what it was that they found so powerful about the film. And I'm not saying any guys didn't feel that way about the film, but it was much more common amongst the female audience to have um, a stronger response, which I thought was really cool because I like unearthing things that I did not previously understand because of my limited experiences in life. Um, it's by no means the bottom of the MCU. I agree with uh, Megan in that regard, but I probably wouldn't put it in my top 10 either. So it's so it falls kind of like like uh, like they said in the middle for me, too. Yeah, I think I uh, largely agree with everybody here. I mean, uh, I, I know I said I wanted to have a diversity of opinion on the show. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I really did enjoy the movie. And, of course, you know, anybody listening can go back to, like, my entire episode on the, the movie to get my full opinion on it. But um, I basically agree with everybody saying, but... You know, I did want to make sure that in talking about this movie that I had, you know, a significant uh, representation, I guess you could say, of, you know, women's voices talking about this movie because I think like Jay said, I've had a similar experience in that there are things in the movie that I didn't see until, you know, either my wife or, you know – uh, you know, some other friend of mine who is a woman would mention something to me and allowed me to see it in a different light. So I do consider myself a feminist, but, you know, I can't uh, I, I don't know everything. I'm, I'm no expert. So I'm constantly looking to open my mind and uh, dig deeper to find the truth in fiction. As uh, as I mentioned, I really love about what the story geeks do. <laughs> Thanks. So uh, so here we are. So let's just kick this right off by saying in thinking about a Captain Marvel sequel, a Captain Marvel 2, what do you think a good Captain Marvel movie absolutely must do, absolutely needs to do to be a good, not just a good, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but a good Captain Marvel story? Can we start with Megan? Yeah, this is kind of a weird way to go about for, for me answering it. But in a lot of ways, I actually do think the first one did what a lot of what should be done for a Captain Marvel film. And that's kind of like an exploration of her past. And there was one writer for Captain Marvel, Brian Reed, who described her personality as an engaging mix of bravado and aggression juxtaposed with compassion and empathy. Mm. And that's exactly, I think, what's needed. And so I think in a lot of ways, the first film did that. Like a lot of... In the comics, a lot of what Carol Danvers does in terms of like the long history of the character is recon reconciling her past as Miss Marvel. Mm -hmm. And since this film is, you know, cutting out the 
cutting out her her past as being, you know, Miss Marvel and instead, you know, going straight to her being Captain Marvel, which is good. I think that's exactly what it should do. Focusing on her past in terms of her her origin story with her powers, you know, that that is exactly what should have been done in that particular scenario. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, like, again, the framework of the film is great. And having that, like, fun, brash personality, but also still being a caring and compassionate person with a big heart, I, that's exactly what it needed to be. And I feel like Brie Larson was an excellent pick to have that, like, fun, snarky personality, but also, like, that caring and considerate type of person. So... <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think you're spot on about her casting. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people didn't enjoy her performance, but I think maybe there was something else behind that. Uh, (laughs) What on earth could that be with? I mean, everybody, you know, has their own opinion, and I think that's fine. But I do think that part of the reason that she was a great choice for that role is because she also had a pre-existing relationship with Samuel L. Jackson because they had worked together and they already had like this really great rapport, right? I think I saw on some talk show where Brie Larson said, I, I've traveled with Sam Jackson, you know, more than I've traveled with anyone else in my life, you know, just on press tours for the movies they've been in together. So I thought I thought you could really see that that relationship in their characters. And I'm, I'm sure that personal relationship helped a lot. Yeah, and uh, honestly, her dynamic with Fury is one of the most enjoyable things about the film. And so, in in my opinion, where the, the first movie, f- not falls short, but just her presence in the MCU falls a little short with me because her relationships with Maria and Maria's daughter are kind of lacking. And because of the, the nature of how overly powered she is and not overly powered but with how powerful she is the writers had to like kind of backbend and come up with an excuse for her not to be around during big events in the MCU so they kind of wrote themselves into a corner that way so I feel like a good cat and and granted like you know, you're kind of written into a corner when, like, you write a story and then you retroactively have to come up with a reason why somebody even more powerful than everybody else in the crew wasn't right. there to help out. So, like, those are those are shortcomings I can totally forgive just from a writing perspective of, like, oh, okay, we have to figure out a way to make this work. But it's one of those things where it's, like, if they had kind of come up with this from the very beginning, there could have been more seamless ways of integrating her instead of retroactively having to to fit you know but uh, yeah yeah I think um you know I recall reading some articles about how uh, Kevin Feige was always pushing to get like Captain Marvel and some other you know women-led superhero films but you know for the longest time uh, Ike Perlmutter was in charge of a lot of Mar- uh, what went on at Marvel and uh he just he just didn't want to do it uh Ew. so so but you know now feige's in control basically of uh the you know the mcu and and he's been given broad authority by disney as as i understand it so jay what does a good captain marvel movie absolutely need to do in the sequel yeah it's a good question i think that and you'll have to test this against the pitch that i give you just to see if it even works (laughs) um but i think the first thing it needs to do is it needs to inspire women 
I think that's the core audience, and you have to you have to hit that audience and succeed with that audience. Actually, for two separate reasons. One is a business reason. Like you've got to have the core audience show up, especially after the this coronavirus. It's been a cornerstone of their marketing for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that that audience has got to show up. So it's a business reason for that. Um, but I also think it's healthier for the fandom. So I know that it causes all this division and things like that, but that re- division is completely ridiculous and should be basically squashed whenever possible. So, um, so yeah, I think it just needs to inspire women. You need to hit that audience. Uh, and I think, personally, the other thing that they really need to do with Captain Marvel 2 is that they need to bring in an Oscar-caliber female director. I'm not saying that the the, dire- the last director they had was not Oscar-caliber. I'm not saying that. But I would love to see Catherine Bigelow, mm. Sofia Coppola, somebody like that step in to direct the film um, and give it I some I wish that was real... list was longer, but they just haven't been giving women those awards for very long. I know. know it's yeah. so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, there are more. There are a lot more. Don't get me wrong. Of course. Like, of course. Those are some of the people that have directed some films that I go... They can add some depth to the MCU. When depth is added to the MCU, those are the movies that stand out. And so if we can bring in some people that will add depth, I think that's going to be really important to pushing this character through the MCU. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Amanda, what, yeah. Is, what are your thoughts on what a good Captain Marvel sequel absolutely must do? I agree with Megan and Jay, um, particularly on Jay's point that we need to push more female and femme power into this film universe. I think that the one thing that Captain Marvel Part 2 really needs is other strong female characters that aren't just sidekicks. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I loved Captain Marvel for giving Brie all of this power, other than Maria... There aren't a lot of women on that screen for a long time. And I think that if we are going to give Captain Marvel a sequel, you know, introduce Kamala Khan, introduce someone else who gets equal Captain screen time. And it's not yes. just Brie Larson holding up the women of the world being like, look, I'm your representative because let's face it, she's still a white lady. Um, and we need more diversity the mcu needs strong women of color to appear in something other than black panther and to not be just someone's sidekick i really just think that a sequel to captain marvel needs to be more intersectionally feminist and not just one little wedge of feminism to appeal to one iota of the Mm -hmm. fandom i think that They started to go in the right direction with Captain Marvel, but they didn't push back hard enough. There wasn't enough femme power in that movie to really enrage that one divisive section of the fandom. (laughs) It's going to get ticked off no matter what you do. So if you're going to make them mad, make them as mad as humanly possible. Make her the strongest (laughs) Yeah, I I think you're making a really important point. And, you know, I would even say that um, a lot of that outrage that you see online and on YouTube, I couldn't believe the stuff that YouTube was suggesting to me when uh, when the first Captain Marvel movie was, you know, gearing up for release. Like, I think it's also some of that outrage actually works to the film's benefit in the sense that it, it gets it more visibility. 
you know, out there in the public. And, you know, I think that beyond all of the other really good reasons, you know, that you're mentioning, it would actually be a good business decision for Disney and Marvel uh, to do these things. Amanda, I have a feeling you and I are going to have very similar (laughs) pitches. (laughs) I figured as much. (laughs) That's fantastic. So, you know, I'm... I guess in a similar uh, uh, boat as as everyone else and what they're saying. But I think, you know, to try and and move uh, beyond just repeating the same things, which I think are really incredibly valid and wonderful points, but just to keep adding some new ideas to the pot, I think that it needs to keep in large part to the cosmic setting of Captain Marvel, but it still has to acknowledge her connection to Earth. And, you know, Kevin Feige has said that she's a character that's got one foot very firmly on the cosmic side of the MCU and one foot, you know, very firmly on Earth. And so I think that you have to preserve that. Like, you couldn't just... Or I think it would be not a great idea to make a Captain Marvel movie where it's just, like, out, like, way out in the cosmos or, like, just on Earth. So I think there has to be some type of balance there, even if she's not necessarily like walking around in Blockbuster again or something, you know. Agreed. I think that it needs to keep some kind of fun sci-fi adventure vibe. It seems like that was the genre they were trying to sort of locate, you know, this franchise in. But without sacrificing the amount of depth that's that's really required to do justice to the character. And I think that maybe a corollary to some of the things that you've been saying is that she really needs to be a very active character, a very active protagonist in the sense that it's not just, and I'm not saying that like a lot of MC writers fall into this trap. Maybe it's happened a couple times with some characters, particularly women characters, but she, it's not a situation where things are just constantly happening to her and she's not able to make choices about her own life. You know, I I think she needs to uh, be active in that sense. So those are my two cents on what the movie needs to do. Yes, agency. Exactly. So on that note, what does a good Captain Marvel absolutely need to avoid? Why don't we start with Amanda this time? I think it needs to avoid some of the traps that it fell into in the original film. As much as I loved some of the scenes where Captain fought back against, you know, cat collie motorcycle man, (laughs) unnamed (laughs) dirtbag number four, um... Like, okay, that was funny the first time it happened. But then she kept subtly fighting back against these sexist notions without saying anything. And I think that that in and of itself really bothered me because she literally doesn't have a voice in that moment. And I think that it's fine for the origin story. But as she becomes Mm. more of herself... I think that if they fall into that trap again, if they literally take her voice away in those moments, they're not doing themselves or their audience or the character any favors. Mm -hmm. So if they avoid that, if they, as Megan said, if they give her more agency in who she is, both as a human and this bizarre creature in the universe because she's so powerful and better than everybody else. Hashtag feminism. Um, <laughs> I think that that it'll be a much better movie. Even if they literally just avoid that, it'll already be a better representation and a better film just in giving her something to fight back with because a standard person in the world can't just beat the crap out of somebody or steal her motorcycle. 
That's that's a great point. You know, I did. I, I do think that's more important in the sequel because, you know, that moment you mentioned with the uh, the motorcycle guy, uh, you know, I, I feel like she was in a part of her arc there where she was still kind of allowing people to, uh, you know, to walk all over her in some Absolutely. sense. Yep. And so uh, but I but I agree now that she's at the point where she is. Uh, it can't. I don't think it can continue that way. So, Jay, what do you? Or, or sorry, Amanda, were you finished? Nope, I'm done. No problem. Okay, great. So, Jay, what do you think a Captain Marvel sequel absolutely must avoid? Yeah, I think uh, I'm on the same page as everybody else here. I do think that it just it can't be a continuation of the first film. I don't think we're. I don't think we should get like a Captain Marvel Part Two. Like it needs to be a new story. It needs to be a new deal. Um, we need to see the character breaking new ground, um, showcasing that this character has moved on. They did something really instrumental with Thor and Cap and Tony in that throughout their trilogies and the other ensuing ensemble films those characters are consistently either growing or responding to tragedy that has occurred in their lives. Mm. I think they just need to do the same thing with Captain Marvel. They can't just go back to the same well and try to get the same response from it. They need to break through that. I think there's a part of this that's playing with the hero's heroine's journey in some in some way, shape, or form in the first film. And I just think we need mm-hmm. to abandon that kind of philosophy for, for the next film. Very interesting. So, uh, Megan, what are your thoughts on what a Captain, good Captain Marvel sequel movie must avoid? Please, 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 please don't nerf her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, I hear that. Um, because there are so many people who are like, oh, she's too strong. Uh, da, 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 da. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Is Superman too strong? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so please, please don't cave into pressure uh, to nerf her. Like, you can come up with ways for her to still, you know, engage in enthralling fights. Like, I know there are so many people who are like, she's too OP, please nerf her. Um, in I, I believe it was the 80s. Um, it might have been the, the 60s or 70s. I, I don't recall what era it was. But there was an era in the comics that decided to strip Wonder Woman of her powers mm. in a misguided attempt at feminism oddly enough like um they it was a run where for a little while wonder woman was stripped of her abilities and she was still out fighting the good fight and it it took the observation of a woman this is something i remember from like a documentary like a million years ago so please forgive me for skipping out on the details but um the uh it took the observation of women going hey guys you took the only like powerful female hero in comics and stripped her of her powers and they were like oh we did a bad oops (laughs) Uh so please don't cave to the pressure of people saying captain marvel is too powerful and strip her of her powers or nerf her abilities in some way please don't do that there are still way plenty of ways to make her fun engaging and interesting without taking away her powers yeah, I knew there was a good reason you were going to be on this podcast. Um, <laughs> that's basically what what I was going to say. I mean, I I think it's a trap 
to to fall into this like plot device of draining her powers away in order to like find obstacles that will present a challenge. I think it's a tired trope. I think it's happened so many times in the past in so many different shows and movies. And yeah, sometimes it can be used to great effect. Like for example, I think the MCU actually did it really well in Iron Man 3. But that was a case where it was losing his suits you know, was very, very much tied to his, like, whole psychological arc as a hero. Uh, and I thought that was actually pretty well done for that movie. But I, don't do it again. Yeah, I mean, this... this doesn't need to be a Metroid game where she loses all her <laughs> abilities at the very start and has yeah. to regain them as the movie goes on. And, the you know, I think it's a failure of imagination to do that, honestly. And I, I'm going to talk a little bit later about how I think, you know, they can they can deal with that issue of like, if you think that her being too powerful is a story issue, which I don't think it is like I I give us an example. I don't know if you guys watched Heroes when that was on TV or even afterward, but uh, Peter Petrelli in the first season, you eventually find out that he is like the most powerful of them all because he can absorb like everybody's powers. And at the end, he has like everybody's powers all at the same time. And the, the problem was that he didn't know how to control them. So it was dealt with fairly, you know, well up to the end of that first season. But then in the second season, their solution was, I ah, just take them all away. <laughs> and that's what they did. Like, I was really looking forward to like, what does it mean that he has these and he can control them now? And he's this character with like a tortured conscience and like all this stuff. But nope, they just was like cop out. <laughs> so I'm really hoping they don't uh, uh, they don't do that again. The, there was so much that could have been done with heroes after that first season. Um, oh, That's a whole man. other podcast. It really could be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk heroes again some other time. Yeah, we'll we'll reconvene. So, okay, I think we've all weighed in on that question. So, before we get to the actual pitches, uh, one more sort of preparatory question, which is, what do you think are the special opportunities and special challenges in a new cinematic? Captain Marvel story. Uh, let's start with Jay here. This is going to sound really strange um, as somebody who writes stories, but I'm actually going to put on my producer hat for a minute because mm. I actually think that the biggest challenge the MCU faces, I think it faced this challenge before coronavirus. I think it faces this challenge even more after coronavirus. And that is, I don't know how you make movies with budgets. Every single movie that has a budget of over $150 million, I, I don't know how you make money at that. Like moving forward mm -hmm. into the new normal, um, we're going to face a time where if you have to create blockbusters to make money, you are putting a lot of money up front only maybe to lose a lot of money in the end. Um, we're already seeing that happen to a couple films that were released basically right before right. we were all asked to stay at home. And so I, I, I was worried about that uh, originally because as the budgets keep growing, now we're going to watch these films for the spectacle of them, not for the stories of them. A lot of times, right? Yeah. And, that, and by the way, when I say us, I don't mean anyone on this podcast because we're always going to go <laughs> see them, them for the stories. But for those out there who are like, oh, okay, well, I, I remember I did a presentation at a at a college that I was working for, and it was called like how we view superheroes and what it means to be a hero. And I was doing this presentation. I go, how many of you have seen, you know, I think it was Avengers uh, Infinity War at the time that was out. How many of you, oh, Black Panther, it was Black Panther. How many of you have seen Black Panther? And like three people raised their hands and then one kid goes, I think I, I, think I saw it. And, I, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself like, well, everyone I know has seen that movie like it's just like everyone i know has seen it but the general population doesn't go 
until mm-hmm. all four of us have told them you need to go see this movie. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that the the having budgets of 150 million, it looked like the first film here was a between 150 and 175 million is a really big challenge cuz how are you going to recoup that in revenue? And I'm not sure. So that, I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges that the MCU faces. And and this is not a Captain Marvel specific challenge. Sure. This is an MCU movies in general. How can you still make really quality movies that don't have to be blockbusters? I'm not sure. I'd love to see some more independent film kind of <laughs> Marvel movies, but I don't know if we'll get there. So that's the biggest thing to me is just that how are we going to do film moving forward and how are we going to do blockbusters? That's interesting. I think that that is a great point and it will probably hold true in my opinion for, you know, about a year or two. I th- I think it just depends on when they come out with a vaccine, right? Because mm. until that happens, you can almost guarantee that there's going to be less butts in the seats in the movie theaters, right? Yeah, and you just hope that people haven't adapted to the point where they're like, oh, well, you've been showing me movies from home this whole time, so I don't want to go to the theater anymore. I mean, I, I know that like, that like that's kind of how I feel because every time I go to a theater where I can't reserve a feet, reserve a seat that is like at least three feet away from someone else kicking me and kicking my chair, right? Like <laughs> it's just super annoying. So I, I've gotten super spoiled, and and I when I watch movies, I like to watch them with the subtitles on, and I like to pause them so that I can think about the concept mm. for a little bit. And so, uh, but that's dangerous to the current business model. So they'll have to they'll have to innovate, and I'm sure they will. This is Disney. Disney is at the forefront of these things. But uh, I'm a little bit worried about them continuing to do blockbusters. I mean, we've seen it even we're even starting to see it with Star Wars, a 40 year old thing where people are going, I don't know if I want to go see another one of those things. You know what I mean? So I think there's more factors in play there. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's my feeling. But no, you make some good points. Amanda, what do you think are the special opportunities and special challenges in a new cinematic Captain Marvel story? So I think. In terms of special challenges, I'm going to pull a conversation with my husband into this. He is a big Star Wars. Like, like think of the biggest Star Wars fan you know, and then multiply it by 100. That's my husband. (laughs) And we both loved Last Jedi. And then we both did not like Rise of Skywalker. And what I'm worried about with Captain Marvel is that they will give in to the pressure of their quote-unquote fandom and not recognize that the outcry is not as big as they think it is and that they'll give in and just make a bad movie in order to kind of backpedal their way into the hearts of those angry fans the way that the Star Wars universe did after Last Jedi. I think that is their biggest challenge because... Captain Marvel was the MCU's first foray into a really strong, the strongest female character. And that's going to make people mad. Anytime you you try to do something different, someone's going to be mad about it. And the worst thing they could possibly do is change their mind and make her weak. Or as Megan said, nerf her or... Mm-hmm. just give in and say okay fine she can be a terrible character here you go here's a bad movie i honestly think that is their biggest challenge is just overcoming this need to please everyone because they won't if they make her weaker they're going to tick off 
people like me, if they make her stronger, they're going to tick off the nerf herders who live in their mom's basement. It's an interesting era for <laughs> fandoms, for sure. You know, I think it partially it's it's we're so connected by the Internet and, uh, you know, anybody can put up a blog or, you know, uh, you know, tweet things out on Twitter that get you know, they get likes and retweets. And uh, I think the outrage just becomes self-amplifying, even though totally. it is. Uh, I, I think I agree with you. I think it is a, such a small slice of the people that, you know, go to see these movies. Yeah, I, I'm so exhausted by by terrible hot takes. For real. <laughs> oh, my God. That's all Twitter seems to be some days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Megan, what's your take on special opportunities and special challenges in a new cinematic Captain Marvel story? I absolutely concur with Amanda in terms of opportunities for more intersectionality in terms of diversity and inclusion. Like, that's a huge opportunity. And I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll elaborate on that a little bit more uh, <laughs> later. But um, as far as kind of challenges, I'm completely ignoring a lot of the, the external worldly factors and even business factors going into things right now because it's a very weird time in the industry. But for me, kind of one of the biggest challenges to overcome with this sequel is kind of what I was touching on at the top of our recording because of the way you know, they had to retroactively fit her into the MCU. She currently really doesn't have any relationships with any surviving members of the Avengers, with the exception of Nick Fury. And mm. they've they very much made it seem like only really cataclysmic stuff is enough to bring her back because she's just like so busy, you guys. She's like <laughs> got so much going on. Like it's a big galaxy out there or whatever. So she's just like too busy to come back to Earth, which makes it seem like the people she loves on Earth don't matter to her. So I think a big challenge slash opportunity is allowing her to develop relationships with people on earth and with more members of the avengers so that like she's not like hey everybody uh guys i kind of know like associates because <laughs> that's something that like was really fun about the avengers is them learning to look past their differences and work together and mm -hmm. become friends and I, I like seeing that dynamic of like, hey, we're friends. And at the moment, the only person she really seems to have that kind of relationship with is Fury. So I would like to see, you know, again, a challenge is making her a part of the team as opposed to like somebody who comes in, you know, helps with a job and then goes off and does her own thing again until the next big world ending thing. Yes. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think that's a special opportunity and a challenge because, you know, if you also want to take, you know, inspiration from the comics, which they always do, it's it's my understanding that in a lot of the more recent runs of her comics, like especially like the Kelly Sue DeConnick stuff, which I've read some of but not all of, sadly, but that she has had this conflict where she does want to, you know, she does have loved ones on Earth and people that she cares about and, and you know, she cares about that world. But at the same time, she's very ambitious. She has this dream to, at least in the comics, explore and see what's out there and go higher, further, faster, you know. And so this was always like an inner conflict for her and ultimately... 
you know, she decided to follow her dream. And I think she like takes her cat with her, but she has to make the decision of leaving everybody else behind. And that's not certainly not easy for her, but it is it, it is a moment where she gets to have agency over her own life. And actually, didn't Kelly Sue DeConnick's comics allow her to like travel back in time? And she even had the choice of like living a normal life or letting that like psyche magnetron give her her powers. So it's a way of like sort of retroactively giving her a little bit more agency over her own life. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. But I love I love that idea. And here's the thing. I, like, I absolutely love the idea of her like having to choose between the people that she cares about and are reconnecting with versus, you know, her 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 desire to explore the universe and, you know, desire to also, you know, take care of the people that the Kree have hurt. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I absolutely dig that idea. But because we didn't really delve into how much her relationships with the people on Earth meant to her, it really didn't feel like a big sacrifice or a big choice for her. It was more just like, I was an intergalactic, you know, patrol person, and now I'm going to keep being an intergalactic patrol person um just working for the other you know just not working for the oppressors this time (laughs) so it didn't really feel like it was that big of a choice for her so i would love for a sequel to kind of dig deeper into how much personally that means to her yeah i think you know when i was reading about that portion of the comics you know that i just described i thought my god this this could be like a cornerstone of her journey in the sequel, this type of, you know, decision that she has to make. And and it's too bad that, you know, the, the first film didn't have a little more space for that because the scenes with the Rambos, and I am so sorry that I'm forgetting the actresses' names right now, but they were they, those were some powerful performances, some of the most emotional scenes of the movie, I would say, is when she's interacting with her, you know, family, basically, on Earth. Yeah, more Maria and Monica, please. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for my part, in terms of special opportunities and special challenges, I mean, I think I'm going to go back to uh, some some plot devices. Like, I I don't want to see the nerf. I think that you could think of that as a special challenge, but I think it's actually more of an opportunity because... On one hand, if you're strictly thinking about like super punching and, and her physical powers, you know, may, you might find it difficult to find like an equally powerful foil for her and still have a great story, you know, without devolving into like the, you know, what I call the Ronin-esque villains of of the MCU. Now, MCU has had some really stellar villains, but they've also had some kind of two-dimensional ones, in my opinion, Malekith, Ronin. But I think you have an opportunity to pit her against an antagonist whose threat isn't either isn't primarily physical or to even pit her against herself. And uh, I'm going to get into that on, on my pitch. What do you guys think about that, Jay? Uh, in regards to the villains? Yeah, in regards to the villains and, and in just, you know, finding ways to deal with the, the fact that you would not be nerfing her. Oh, so I, I actually I'll save that because I have I actually have some of that in my um, in my pitch itself. But, oh, perfect. But I agree Excellent. with you 100 percent on the villains. I mean, like the villains in the MCU have traditionally been pretty problematic, except for the last few years, really. I mean, it wasn't until what uh, Civil War probably that we or I guess Winter Soldier, you could argue we had kind of a, a turnaround in the villains. Well, I in think there. technically Tony was the antagonist in Civil War. So I mean, <laughs> right. about oh, a multi-dimensional. 
Yeah, it's yeah. very true. I, I'm referring more to, to Zemo. In oh, that, sure. In yeah, our- <laughs> I, I kind of loved in Civil War that it was just a guy. It was yeah. just a guy with enough <laughs> yeah. time, resources, and, and drive to tear them yeah. apart. Like, like I love the idea of him just like, I'll get them to tear themselves apart. Like, I don't have to do much. I just have to push them in the right directions. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of agree with you, Will. I think a, a villain who could psychologically damage our protagonist is a really, you know, good way. You know, it doesn't even have to be somebody who can go to toe to toe with her physically. I like the idea of somebody taking a more psychological or stealthy approach, something where it's like, here's here's an opponent where it's like, it's not just going to be brute strength that that will overcome this. Like there was cunning and strategy behind what's going on right mm-hmm. now. And that forces her to adapt too, right? Like you can't just, you know, destroy your, you know, the spaceships as your way out of it this time. You have to like, you know, maybe be more political and like figure out exactly what is going on and and find out how you're being manipulated once again and and so on and and so forth. Any thoughts on this, Amanda? Yeah, I agree with Megan. I think that in an ideal world, a great villain for Captain Marvel as she is right now and as she was in her origin story is someone who would go after her psychologically because there's not going to be someone who can match her as we as we know villains at the moment just in brute strength and I don't think that they should have to I think that in any good story with any good villain they're going to go after their weakness and clearly captain's weakness is not her strength but her emotional intelligence and because we haven't really tapped into that because we haven't uh we haven't explored her emotional depth as much as we could have i think that's a great opportunity to help her grow that way to help her reclaim her humanity and everything that that means and a good villain will do that for her yeah, you know, Kevin Feige, I keep, you know, referring back to what Kevin Feige says because, you know, he's basically in creative control of the whole shebang <laughs> ultimately. But, you know, he he's taught he talked about, you know, when in the lead up to the first film's release about how they worked really hard to determine what her weaknesses and flaws were because if she's going to be so powerful, that's an even more important component of her character. I mean, it's always important in a good character. But it's it's particularly important with her. And even in the comics, you know, she's had she's vulnerable. Her mind is vulnerable is what I'm trying to say. She's I think in some runs of the comics, it's like if she uses her powers to full effect, it actually like wipes out some of her memories. There was a period of time where she was like she couldn't remember what she was doing when she was Miss Marvel. So historically, that's been kind of a, a vulnerability that she's had to deal with. And I think it's an interesting one. So I think it's time for us to get to our pitches. I'm super excited about this. So to start, we're going to give an elevator pitch. And if our listeners aren't uh, sure of what that term means, uh, it just is a description of the movie brief enough that you could deliver it between floors on an elevator, you know, which is the only chance a lot of people in Hollywood get if they're, you know, pitching a script, hence the name. So (laughs) the guideline is like a few sentences And if you want to flesh it out a little bit after you give us your elevator pitch, you know, please feel free. Let's can we start with uh, Megan on this? Sure. So Captain Marvel 2. 
While helping Nick Fury out with his space mission to establish S.W.O.R.D., she comes back to Earth after learning the Kree have returned. In an attempt to replicate what happened to Captain Marvel, the Kree are experimenting on the human population. After rescuing such a person from their clutches, a young girl named Kamala Khan, the two must take on the Kree once more with the help of her intergalactic friends. Woo. Woo. So, yeah. Wow. Captain Marvel 2. Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel. Like Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. There's so many elements uh, in there. And, you know, to be clear, you know, we don't have the foresight that Marvel Studios does in terms of what they're doing with the rest of their cinematic universe in the next several years. But uh, I I think it's an even bet that there's going to be leading up to some type of, you know, scroll invasion type of uh, event, right? Yeah, and but because they've changed the nature of the scrolls, like that's also interesting. Um, so I'm sure at some point, where especially with the way Far From Home ended, the scrolls will be incorporated in some way. Mm-hmm. But I've been I've been dying to have Kamala Khan in the MCU for a long, long time. She's um, getting her own show. Yes. But, like, it's not here yet. and right. <laughs> <laughs> It's not here yet, and I need it. And I've been dying to have it ever since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. decided to do their Terragenesis plotline with the Inhumans. And mm, I'm mm-hmm. really sad that, like, even though Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. incorporated Robbie Reyes in a really cool way, I'm still sitting, I was still sitting here going, like, but what about Kamala Khan? What about Kamala Khan? What about Kamala Khan? <laughs> yeah, she's an inhuman. I've been saying that into the void for literal years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and I know that she's supposedly getting her, her own series on Disney Plus, but like, I don't know, guys. Like, things have, things have been announced and then canceled. Like, we were supposed to get an inhuman movies, and then we got a series that I right. never bothered to watch. Like, <laughs> and, and it's probably good that you didn't, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. So there, you know, plans can always change. So even though we're supposedly getting a Miss Marvel series, like that could change at any given moment. So I, I just, just give me Kamala in the MCU in any way, shape or form. And I feel like Captain Marvel 2 is a really great opportunity for it. And it's a great opportunity to expand on things that aren't really explored in the comics either, because Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel don't really have a relationship in the comics, as far as I know. So it would be really cool to actually have them team up and go on missions together. That would be amazing. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Kamala Khan ended up in some movies in addition to her own show, considering the shows and the movies will actually be connected uh, this time through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She could be a student at the same high school that Peter Parker goes to. Oh, my God. Mind blown. <laughs> That'd be great. Although I thought she lived in New Jersey. They're close enough, uh, right? Yeah, close, close enough. enough. Yeah, close <laughs> enough. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot like where, I mean, the MCU always plays around with little details like that. So True. Like, it's all New York. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a purist. I, I just, this just occurred to me. Uh, but like, also just the perspective of a kid who like grew up with these superheroes being larger than life, lived through the blip, grew up mm-hmm. uh, only to have those same heroes come back and like basically restore the world. Like, that's got to be really cool. And we get that a bit with like Peter Parker and his relationship with Iron Man in terms of that like hero, like 
mentor-mentee relationship. But, like, that's something really endearing about Kamala Khan is she is a fangirl. And it would be so (laughs) fun to see somebody who idolizes these heroes, who's grown up with them, like actually get to get to be a part of the action. It'd be really cool. Yeah, I, I think it's a really smart move for Marvel to to do that with Kamala, too, because, look, there are kids who have grown up with the MCU now. And mm-hmm. so they I think that, you know, these are the type of fans that would identify pretty strongly with Kamala on that level, at least. Right. Yeah, they they even touched on that at the very beginning of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming when, you know, Michael Keaton's character is looking at the picture that his daughter Liz drew. And it's, you know, just this picture of all these superheroes, you know, saving the day. And like, yeah, so kids in this world are growing up with real life superheroes. And like, that's that's got to be a trip to think about. <laughs> There's uh, definitely I think there's a lot of material there for them to play with. So in this pitch of yours, who is the main villain and who are the uh, who are Carol's allies and her most important relationships in this pitch of yours? Now, I know I know, Jay, you said that going back to the same well that the first one was into is something that's not necessarily desirable in terms of your idea for a pitch I actually disagree a little bit because I think there's plenty left unresolved from the first film and that's mainly her dynamic with the supreme intelligence and her mission to completely dismantle the Kree empire so in my opinion bringing back the Kree actually makes a lot of sense um, since we didn't really get a full resolution with the supreme intelligence yon rog doesn't necessarily have to come back like as much as i enjoyed seeing jude law get punched (laughs) (laughs) get super punched by brie larson like he doesn't need to come back because there are a lot of different kree that we can bring in um we can utilize there are still a lot of accusers and a lot of assassins i'm leaning actually a little bit more towards a team called the star stealth since they could act as a potential parallel to Carol's old crew. Heck, we could even bring a few members of her old crew into that that particular group. So in especially if we're like, I would have the main antagonist still be the Supreme Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Because as we kind of touched on before, somebody who understands that brute force wise, you're not going to be able to just take down Captain Marvel in a head on fight. You have to attack her psychologically while you're working on creating a weapon that can take her down while she's in an emotionally vulnerable state. You know, and so I feel like the supreme intelligence, you know, a a being that has actually been inside her head and gets, you know, understands how she thinks and why she is the way she is would be a really good way narratively to explore that idea. So that's just that's my thoughts. But um, that's fascinating. So, Jay, the gauntlet's been thrown. Your reaction? I didn't get to say allies. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I mean, just uh, just really quick, a Kamala, obviously, Valkyrie, you know, as a potential love interest, maybe. Ooh, Ooh um, Nick, Nick Fury and Talos, of course. Um, I would like to throw in Nebula in there because Nebula. God, is... I love that her character. So yeah, great. Nebula is super great. She's obviously 
um, has experience in intergalactic manners. Like, she's even worked with Ronan, so she's worked with mm. the Kree before, so I feel like she would be a really good ally. And, of course, Monica, who's all grown up, and I know she's going to have some role in WandaVision. We don't know what that's going to be yet, right. but, like, right. grown-up Monica. So interesting. So I, I do want to get Jay's reaction to your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just threw down the gauntlet, Jay. Yeah. Bite. I, I've been challenged by Megan before, so this is not new territory. Um, Excellent. <laughs> the, the, yeah. No, it's always fun, though. Megan and I always have a great time. Um, so, I mean, my concept is going to go in a completely different direction because I'm going to not try and, and call back to Earth at all in my pitch. I do think that there are some great things left on Earth, like Megan's talking about, that are worthy of exploration. I just feel like you're putting Captain Marvel in sort of a, a weird place if we go right back there. And so I'm actually going to take it more cosmic in, in my particular pitch. Ooh, interesting. Okay, well, we're going to get to that for sure. So I, just another question or two for Megan while we're still on her pitch, uh, yeah. which is so so can you be as specific as you can be about what time period this that your you know your pitch for this movie would take place in in relation to Captain Marvel, which is 1995 in Avengers Endgame, which I think was 2023. It would take place after Endgame. Like as much mm-hmm. as I really enjoyed the I, you know, I grew up I I was born in the 80s, but I grew up in the 90s. So as much as I enjoyed the 90s nostalgia fun of Captain mm-hmm. Marvel, like I I feel like, and, and again, this is, I, I have mixed feelings about um, Black Widow also going back in the timeline. I have mixed feelings about both those things. Even though I'm, I enjoyed Captain Marvel and I'm looking forward to Black Widow. I'm still sitting here going like, stop retroactively trying to fit pieces into it. We already (laughs) did time travel. Let's Mm -hmm. move forward instead of moving back. So I would want this to be post end game, post Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm -hmm. And like I said, my, my idea for Kamala would be somebody who has grown up, who lived through the blip and has lived through the world at its darkest hour and come out on the other side and is still optimistic and, you know, a, a beautiful ray of sunshine that she is. <laughs> so in, in my opinion, after after all that, so we can finally move forward in the MCU, that would be great. Gotcha. Okay. So with that said, like, I thought this was such a, a fascinating pitch. What it, would you say is Carol's main goal in, in this film uh, in your mind? Because this is still something, you know, from her past that still hasn't resolved, uh, like her her main mission at the end of the first film is undoing the damage done by the Kree Empire. And so mm-hmm. taking on the Supreme Intelligence is an excellent way to go about that. But as we kind of uh, alluded to, you know, her relationships with people on Earth have been neglected in that time frame as she's gone about doing this mission. So, you know, Monica grew up without her around. And so I feel like forming relationships in in this film with maybe Valkyrie as, like I said, a potential mm-hmm. love interest and Kamala as like a mentor-mentee relationship, you know, Kamala, I think, would be a really good person to remind her of you know when monica was young you know forming a relationship with the grown-up monica you know she's not the little girl that captain marvel left behind i like the idea of exploring those but i also think like continuing to do the right thing while understanding that 
the what you do can inspire other people to that same greatness and i feel like because mm. like she's doing the right thing because she feels like she's doing the right thing like because she feels like that's mm-hmm. her responsibility to do because she's been so far away from earth i don't think she has any concept of like how superheroes and the the rise of you know superpowered beings have affected like the culture on earth and i think that seeing how her actions have inspired the next generation is something that can affect her really profoundly so i i like mm. the idea of her trying to take down this villain from her past while still working to inspire the fu- you know the people of the future i think that that's what i i want her main main focus and her main goal to be. That's super cool. So, okay, last question, and then we're going to go down the line with everybody else's pitches. So at a deeper level, what sort of theme or themes would you want, you know, your version of this movie to explore? Thematically, that the kind of just what I, what I just, what he just said. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Just (laughs) in terms of, cause we, we got that a lot with Iron Man and his relationship with Spider-Man in terms of kind of passing the torch. We don't have to do that just yet because we, Mm -hmm. we, you know, we haven't spent as much time with Captain Marvel as we spent with Tony, but like, yeah, just knowing that doing the right thing can inspire others to do the same. I feel like right now, that's a really important message like leading by example and Mm. captain marvel has spent so much time doing the right thing just on her own like i feel like learning that she can inspire change in others is a really cool idea so i i like the idea of thematically be the be the change you want to see in the universe yeah and i think i think implicit in all these other things you've been saying in your pitch is is kind of a theme of her starting to form closer relationships too because if she's becoming a mentor figure and she and she is exploring her relationships with these other characters and you know doing everything she can to uh, you know bring the Kree scroll war to the end to defeat the supreme intelligence like she's as powerful as she is she's one person right so she can't do all of that alone and so it just it it feels like uh, that is also kind of an underlying theme in what you've been talking about as well yeah one person can change the world, but you don't have to go it alone. Ooh, that's a good tagline. I like it. Okay, so let's let's go to Jay's pitch now. So Jay, can you start by giving us your elevator pitch? Yeah, yeah oh, fight Marvel me, Jay. <laughs> fight no, me. There's no fight. Actually, actually, I would say this before I even start. I would actually say that both movies could be made, and actually, they would both work. It's just a little bit different. Of <gasps> pitch. Mm-hmm. Guys, um, we could all three of our movies could be made, and we're we're pitching the Captain Marvel quadrilogy right now. Yes, yeah, she deserves <laughs> four movies. I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> Um, so here's the elevator pitch. Following the events of Avengers Endgame, the Grand Master, which is Jeff Goldblum's character from Ragnarok, has discovered a way, or at least he says he's discovered a way, to restore Asgard to its former glory without rewriting the universal timeline. But it requires draining all of the energy from a planet that Captain Marvel has sworn to protect. So now Thor, Quill, and Gamora attempt to help the Grand Master while Captain Marvel, Rocket, Groot, Mantis, and Drax have to figure out a way to stop them. 
Oh, the conflict. The oh my Civil God. War too. Civil War. <laughs> right? Cosmic Chew. Civil War. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's I I oh love God. I love that you have such a high level of stakes and conflict between between characters that we already love is like baked into the the fundamental, you know, bedrock of your idea. That's amazing. Amanda, your reaction to this initial pitch? Oh, it sounds delightful. You had me at Jeff Goldblum gets to come back. <laughs> um, because I'm so here for it. Also, you're 100% right, because my pitch would fit into this universe, too. Perfect. Yes. Fantastic. So, uh, Megan, your quick reaction to his pitch. Uh, oh, goodness. I love, I love, love, love. Again, just incorporating more of the characters that we already know and love and care about. So, and, you know, obviously Captain Marvel was involved in the comics in Civil War 2. And this is a fun kind of spin on like the the pitting these heroes against each other. So I'm I'm down. I'm here for it. That's fantastic. So, Jay, tell me, um, well, I guess you've really already talked about the, the major characters that would be in here, but who who is it that is actually serving as the main antagonist in this pitch? And who do you see as, like, um, the characters that Carol would have the strongest relationships with or or form the strongest relationships with over the course of this story? Yeah, so, so one of the things I'm trying to do here is I actually think that Carol... So the the Avengers are without leadership, basically moving forward, right? Like we can we can pick a leader from whoever's left over to see who we want to continue forward. But I think Carol makes honestly the most sense to me. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say yes, it is a call, a very much a callback to Civil War in a lot of ways, because there are a lot of parallels to that. But what I want to do is draw her into conflicts that make us want to root for her as a leader. Um, mm. And putting pitting her against some pretty substantial, very high powered people, um, I think gives us an opportunity to see her. One of the things that um, Amanda and Megan said that I 100% agree with is that her struggle is going to be one that's more emotional, right? That we that we're trying to draw into that character because we understand where she's coming from and what emotions she's dealing with. So I just like the concept of saying, like, if we're going to put Captain Marvel as the leader of the Avengers, let's test some of that along the way with characters that we already know and love. Because now we're going to look at this and go, oh, wow, just like what they did with, with Civil War, like, whose side do we choose? And they've both got good reasons. But, you know, like those kind of things are really compelling to me. And I think going back to the I think uh, Megan's comment about nerfing her. Terrible idea, right? Terrible, terrible yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, and so that that then brings you to a conundrum, though, which is she is super powerful. So, like, you, you have to bring some people to bear who, one, the stakes are not necessarily in these people getting injured or dying, but rather in what kind of damage is being caused to the people that they love or the people that they're supposed to protect or their friendships and their relationships. And so I think mm -hmm. playing with some of those things is... Um, is really fun and hopefully we can get her to a place where i mean she, they can put her as the leader of the avengers right now but what i don't think we've seen a whole lot of is how she interacts with the rest of the mcu characters and i think this is a way to get us closer to that um faster 
Wow, that that's a really fascinating pitch. So, so would it be uh, Jeff Goldblum who's the main antagonist? Did I miss that? Well, I think you've got um, the protagonist and antagonist are technically Thor and um, and Captain okay. Marvel. However, one of the one of the little twists I have, and we'll get into this more as we flesh this out. But one of the twists I have is that technically, what the Grand Master is doing is because he doesn't have an arena with which to watch god fights. He's basically going out and creating god fights in the world so that he can still run his little uh his little uh planetdom and his uh little uh tests of strength against one another. So he has I love that. Yeah, he has like a subversive and by the way, I love Jeff Goldblum too. Um so to me this is just like how can I get <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in another movie, please? <laughs> That's interesting cuz on the Civil War sort of template if we're talking about it in that context, you know, he's Zemo in, exactly. in that context, exactly. right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's that's amazing. Wow. Okay. Okay. So next question. Mm-hmm. So would you say that Carol's main goal for the film would be to just uphold her word and make sure that this planet doesn't get destroyed just to like bring back Asgard? Is that basically her main? Yeah. Goal exactly. And, and, and the the bigger goal here, and I think I would I would rather have this end very differently than Civil War ended because Civil War ended at a place where there was still conflict between the two main characters, but I would like to showcase that Captain Marvel has a better emotional journey than both Cap and Tony had in that film because they they should have left friends and they didn't leave friends. Like, there's a problem Mm -hmm. there, right? Um, Yeah, although I think they were thinking about setting up Infinity War, honestly. Of course, Um, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But but I I like where you're headed with this. Because I think what uh, one of the things that I think would be really cool to see from from Captain Marvel is that when you had Captain America versus Tony, the thing with Captain America was he has this really high moral standard. And he's kind of like, nope, I know what the moral standard is. And I know, Tony, you have moral failings, but I'm not going to handcuff myself uh, based on your moral failings. I know what is good to do, right? Um, in this case, we kind of understand, uh, we would understand through the movie that what Thor wants to do is completely an emotional response that does put other people in danger, which is not good. So it's it's up to Carol more so to start to try to understand where Thor is coming from and be able to reach out to him on an emotional level while she's mm-hmm. still battling with him. As opposed to up, upholding her, like she will, she will inherently uphold her moral standard. But I think she needs to find a place where she can go. Wait, I can still uphold my moral standard, but by reaching out to Thor and understanding where his hurt mm-hmm. is coming from and relate to him better, as opposed to just being like no, I'm going to put a shield through your armor, <laughs> right? Like, uh, right. I She's think... not just punching her way out of it. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. And I think that that particular conflict and that particular challenge for her actually creates could create a really cathartic moment like around the climax of the movie, right, where she finally convinces him or makes uh, through, you know, uh, empathizing with him and, and understanding him makes him sort of realize what it is he's really been doing over the course of the movie and to think back on, you know, his uh because he was, you know, for a while, he was very mindful of being worthy because mm. of the whole ordeal he went through in the first Thor movie, which I think is kind of underrated, actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think it, the, the same sort of worthy filter is on uh, Stormbreaker. Right. 
and and he's basically ripe for this kind of conflict at this point in his life, I think, with how much he's lost and how much, you know, he's got to be still sort of evaluating, you know, certain things in his life and decisions that he's made maybe. So that that would be a really interesting standoff, you know. Yeah, I can't Two imagine. Two of the most powerful characters, not in a test of strength, but in a test of like, I don't know, uh, moral fortitude. Exactly, exactly. And I can't imagine like Thor – if he had the opportunity just to flip a switch, theoretically, and bring back what he had before. Because we, we've seen him dealing with the loss, but he doesn't have the opportunity to just, like, rectify that situation, right? Like he, So I think that would be very tempting for his character at this point in time to say, oh, I can just go, I can just kind of retrograde back to where it used to be. I will take that mm-hmm. in the heart. I mean, which one of us wouldn't, right? If you've lost a loved right. one, who wouldn't be like, yeah, please flip that switch. I want that back, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's that temptation would be so strong. And you're, I think you're right. Like, like I, I love Thor's character. I, I didn't, I was tired of Thor. I did not love Ragnarok. <laughs> I know that's, oh, okay. that's heresy to those people. I did not love Ragnarok. Um, besides Jeff Goldblum's character, but I loved, absolutely loved what they did with him in Endgame. And so, oh my I, God, that's my favorite Thor. Yeah, my favorite Thor too. Exactly. And so I think that um, he's can actually he's, relate to him now. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So, anyways, I think I just think that that would be cool too. And and he has the power. I don't think that if you put him against Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel probably still wins. But if Captain sure. Marvel is kind of kind of holding back a little bit and he's not because he's he wants the thing that he's trying to get i think it's a really compelling battle you know i think that there's something to be said for this dilemma that she would find herself in in this movie where like uh there's got to be moral downsides to just like you know wiping thor and his team like off the face of the universe (laughs) right right? right. there i mean beyond the the idea of just like killing people like sure she would be defending the planet and upholding her vow but she's she's gonna want to find a better way right that's exactly that's kind of her thing so yeah i love that so okay so last question on this uh pitch of yours so far jay which is at a deeper level what kind of themes do you think that this you know your version of the captain marvel sequel would explore hmm I think part of it is dealing with the concept of hubris and f- especially for godlike characters, right? Um, you have Thor who wants to quote unquote play God by just bringing something back into existence. And then you have Captain Marvel who wants to play God by saying, no, 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 my my moral stance is the better moral stance and I'm not going to let you... Uh, destroy this other planet that I'm called to protect in order to get there. So I think hubris is a really interesting one to play with. But I also think one of the biggest things, and this is coming from the the first Captain Marvel movie, is that we like, and I think our actually Amanda and Megan already said this, and this is what actually as they talked about this, I got really excited because one mm. of the things I was thinking was now if we saw her not vulnerable from a powers standpoint, but we saw her vulnerable from a leadership standpoint mm-hmm. and we could work our way past and, and understand that in order for her to reach Thor, she's going to have to have some relational self, self-sacrifice um, and be vulnerable with Thor to bring him out of where he's he's gone to. Um, and so I think that there's some really interesting things with that. One of the things I was thinking with, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about this. This would be a really interesting question for you, Amanda, especially since you're, um, you and your husband are such um, Star Wars fans and you mentioned The Last Jedi. I think that General Leia is the best Leia, right? And why is she oh the best Leia? Because 
she was headstrong to begin with. She was powerful to begin with. She figured out what her power was. And then over time, she had to figure out how to lead and how different people need to be led and how she can show up in different ways and, 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 um, and encourage and inspire. And so, and, and that's what she's trying to give to Poe Dameron in that case. And I think that you could also take Captain Marvel on a very similar kind of journey or path to get her to that leadership standpoint where we're all like, she's the leader of the Avengers. Like, who else would be, you know? Absolutely. I think that also the best leaders know, uh, this is like a Hamilton reference, uh, the best <laughs> leaders know when to step down and when to pass the torch mm. um i think the the iron man spider-man dynamic is really a also a perfect introduction to whoever is going to follow captain marvel mm. um whether it's kamala khan or monica as apparently it happens in the comics i think that that is an important dynamic to work off of and if we're going to have another hero take on that that torch, I think Captain Marvel would be the best one since we don't have Tony anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, Feige again. I'm coming back to Feige. Kevin Feige has mentioned that they really have wanted Captain Marvel to be at the forefront of the the MCU moving forward. So that's another reason why I think uh, your pitch is so apt, Jay, because it really does mix her up with you know a lot of the remaining characters in the mcu they're still around and and who we love and it kind of keeps her from being too sequestered like off in her own you know corner Mm. uh, for too long Mm. so i i really like that about it amanda do you have any other uh reactions or comments on jay's pitch i think it's fabulous i love the idea of bringing a whole bunch of different characters together because up until the end of Endgame, we really don't have much context for Captain Marvel's existence in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that if they're going to keep bringing her back, they can't just send her into the ether and say, "Oh, she's gone again. I don't where I don't know where she is, but she's gone. It's fine." She's very busy. <laughs> she is very busy. Yes. very busy, very far right. away. Um, so I think it's it's great to bring these folks back in and let them develop relationships with captain marvel because she's not going away megan briefly your reaction to uh, jay's pitch i really like the idea of exploring captain marvel's dichotomy with already pre-existing characters especially somebody like thor because he he's the only member of our big three that's like still still an active player i guess so to speak Mm -hmm. and he went off with the guardians so i like the idea of following up with him and because he just recently went on this time travel adventure to um restore the world and in his in his mind make up for his mistake of not killing thanos when he should have it kind of makes a lot of sense for him to want to restore Asgard in a similar way. Although I do think it undermines a little bit of him leaving leaving Asgard in Valkyrie's hands at the end of Endgame. I think it undermines it a little Mm. bit, but like, you know, you're a character on a journey for a little while. Natasha's gone. Like, these are also characters who have lost so much. And I don't necessarily think he would immediately have a reason to trust the Grandmaster. 
but like these are these are narrative things that you could play around with of like hey like the grandmaster like seeming like i've changed i've totally changed even though he hasn't um so i could definitely see in a in a position of emotional vulnerability for thor after having traveled the universe for some time wanting things to go back to the way they were without damaging the time stream further than they've already done it. Um, Especially, you know, his brother being gone and everything like that. There are emotional things that you could play around with that could then tie into the next Thor film. So yeah, I, I like, I like the idea of exploring her relationship with somebody who's also super powerful, like so powerful that he and the Hulk had to be written out of a civil war. So like, (laughs) yeah, it it would be nice to have um you know another another conflict with you know since he was written out of that movie to have a conflict where he could come back in and be a major player so i i like the idea of exploring that and i like the reasoning behind it too i love it uh so okay so amanda i am dying to hear your elevator pitch for captain marvel 2 oh i don't know mine is a completely different direction than megan's and jay's My ideal film would take place shortly after Captain Marvel Mm -hmm. and would involve Captain Marvel, Talos, and Soren leading the charge of the Skrull against the Kree and ideally ending that war. I agree with Megan that... That was my elevator pitch. Um, Nice. (laughs) I agree with Megan that I don't like that Black Widow is going back into the universe before Endgame and having a movie in that timeline. But I think that having a Captain Marvel sequel take place before Endgame would actually lend itself to some of the moments where we've seen the Skrull and the Kree appear again and would help contextualize those a little bit better, especially with the end of Far From Home, where we see Maria and Fury turn into Soren and Talos. I think that having more background on them will help contextualize them coming back later and perhaps somehow working with obviously they work with fury but now they might have a reason behind that because up until now they've just met them you know that one time in captain marvel Mm -hmm. and would have no reason to help them out but if captain goes and helps them win this war against the Kree, then they'd have more reason to lend themselves to the MCU and hopefully come back because I love Talos so much. Oh my God. Ben Mendelsohn's performance was just so great. Mm. His I mean, deadpan he... snark face I live for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he could turn on a dime from, you know, heavy drama to like, uh, to comedy, frankly. Um, so good. In, in the moment, like so good, so good. So that's that's a great, uh, I love that idea. Now, so would you say that the the main antagonist or villain would be would be the supreme intelligence again or some type of I would of say so. I'd mm-hmm. say the supreme intelligence slash Ronin as like the tier yeah, two yeah. bad guy. Um, right, right. Only because we see him later working with Thanos to get um, the Tesseract. And for me, I can rationalize that because in other iterations of of bad guys, and Thanos himself fits into this category, they always end up alone or they end up with, you know, much fewer allies than they did. So Ronan working for Thanos would make sense a little bit more if the Kree have been 
basically decimated after that that peace treaty that he walked away from. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they were still super powerful, he wouldn't have needed to walk away. And I think the idea of the scroll Cree war lasting another two decades to Endgame is just very unlikely. And the scroll would all be dead. So... Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Uh, so who so who would you see as her main allies or like the most important relationships that Carol has or forms over the course of this you know pitch uh, of yours? I would say Talos and Soren. Yeah. Um, I would love to see Soren do more because we get her for such a brief period in Captain Marvel, and we don't really get to see her at all. Anymore. That's that's an opportunity for another really strong female character in the movie. Absolutely. Right? Right. And there can be other strong female scroll and they can take whatever form they need to. We could have a beautifully diverse sequel if the scroll all became, you know, different varieties of human beings or different varieties of whatever beings they want to. But I think that, you know, she Captain Marvel has such a strong desire and we can see it in the first movie to undo the wrong that she's done for the extremely colonialist Cree that it makes sense she would want to immediately just go and help the scroll just survive. Um, yeah. So what would you say her like specific main goal of the film would be? Would it be to like destroy the supreme intelligence to get the scroll to somewhere else where they're safe to what do you think it would be in this in this scenario i would say to to destroy the supreme intelligence simply because as megan and i agreed earlier the main plot point of her challenges in this movie needs to be intellectual and how much more intellectual can you get than a bad guy called the supreme intelligence <laughs> right um right in a sequel, she would be trying to become more of herself, and the person that stopped her from doing that in the first movie was the Supreme Intelligence. So if she was somehow able to destroy that, she could come to a place where, by the end of Endgame, Jay and Megan's movies could both be made, because she's become a much stronger being in and of herself, and we've developed these amazing connections with the scroll that oh my god now one of them is fury where the hell's fury why is he on vacation come back right um and and i've actually wondered a lot about carol's interconnections to the mcu sort of backdrop throughout the years you know between after 1995 because what if what she does results in the kree having to do that treaty with uh, uh xandar Right. Exactly. Um, you know, what if she does destroy the, the supreme intelligence? They're going to have to, you know, take a step back and regroup and maybe change, you know, how they're set up throughout the galaxy. So I, I think that is uh, really interesting. So what would you say, Amanda, would be the, the major themes that that your pitch, uh, you know, your version of this sequel would would explore? Um. Uh, fixing colonialism. Um, <laughs> undoing yeah. the wrong we have done to ourselves and to our fellow beings. Um, no, there's a lot of material to mine in that, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the the number one side effect, like the number one side effect of colonialism is breaking down someone's self-worth and making them think that they're 
more important, their needs are more important than your needs. And that's like a microcosm for Carol's journey, it seems. Exactly. She, you know, even if the Korean the Scrolls backstory was not so terrible, if it wasn't essentially a scroll genocide, Carol has just as much reason as they do to fight back. They brainwashed her into being their pawn, and she should, you know, get her day in court, so to speak, with the Supreme Intelligence. I think that her character warrants it. If the Supreme Intelligence is still out there somewhere, it's going to come back for her. There is no way... Well, Ronan even said it at the end of the movie, right? Oh, yeah. And we know that, you know, he comes back. I think that even though, like Megan said, and I totally agree, that the writers have sort of, you know, written themselves into a corner with Captain Marvel this late in the game, I think they've also set themselves up with these fun Easter eggs that can come back and we can see a sequel that perhaps takes place before Endgame. And then if we watch the movies in order, realize, oh, that's how Ronan ended up with Thanos. That's how Soren ended up being Maria Hill. And it it all will make sense in the end, almost like they intended it to be that way. Mm-hmm. But also, I just think the scroll are super interesting and... And much to... more dimensional now in the cinematic universe than I think that they they have been in the comics, although I haven't read all the comics with scrolls in them. Yeah, I haven't either. I think that, you know, we, we don't get a lot of context about them. And I would just really love to see more of them and more backstory to them and watch Talos especially develop <laughs> into more of a dynamic guy because he's not a bad guy. I'd probably watch a Talos movie, to be honest. Um, I want a Talos <laughs> movie. I also would just watch his kid play Space Invaders Pinball, so it's fine. <laughs> right. I would watch yeah. 10 hours of that. I, I, you know, I also, <laughs> I also agree with you. I would kind of like to see the Captain Marvel sequel take place, you know, between 1995 and the events of Endgame because... You know, honestly, by the time Endgame rolls around, I'm not even sure who she's grown into. She doesn't have very much screen time in that movie. She -hmm. would have experienced a lot of things in those 28 years. And to pick up with her after Endgame without some kind of context of, like, what she's actually been through as a character would be a little jarring to me, I think. Um, Absolutely. I don't know, you know, if... You could do flashbacks or something, but I would would shy away from that personally. But yeah, so um, Megan, what's your reaction to briefly to Amanda's pitch? I love Talos, Soren, and Captain Marvel all teaming up to take down the the Kree. I I really love that idea. I love the concept for this. My my only real issue is what I said earlier is that I'm. I'm kind of tired of going back. It was great in Endgame as like a wonderful swan song for for all these characters and the 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 entire decade leading up to Endgame. But I I don't like even even with Black Widow coming up, I'm kind of rolling my eyes because I'm like why uh, she should have gotten her movie years and years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't have to go back to retroactively fit this problem, but here we are. And so I don't I don't want to go back anymore. That's my only issue with this pitch. I love the team up idea. Uh, as as I said in my pitch, I love her going up against the supreme intelligence and I think we all agree we need more Talos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. 
Yeah. I'm awesome. all about that. And um, what what you said about bringing the, the Skull Cree conflict to an end and how you can delve into those ideas of fixing colonialism and righting those wrongs. I really like that. And those are things that I would also incorporate into into the pitch for my film. But obviously, I, I like that yours would have a greater emphasis on that conflict, whereas mine would have... Um, more of an emphasis on the those interpersonal relationships uh, that she's forming with these people. But I really, really love the the ideas in yours. It's so good. Oh, thank you. Jay, what's your reaction? Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. I would like to live in a world where all three of these stories were produced and that we could watch. <laughs> um, yes. And yeah. just sit down for the Captain Marvel quadrilogy. I'm exactly, here. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I do think that for both for both pitches, actually, Amanda's and Megan's, I think that there's lots to explore uh, left with the Kree, the scroll. But even more importantly, um, I don't want to leave behind some of the, uh, well, I guess you call them secondary characters that we found in the first film. So I am moving past the first film because I don't really know how to draw those characters back in in a, in a way that I can, can kind of deal with in my mind. But both of, both of these concepts do that really well. And I, and I think actually... Uh, the supreme intelligence is a great villain for her to keep fighting mm-hmm. against. And I do think that to Megan and Amanda's earlier points about her emotional journey, that character will give her the ability to fight through some of those emotions that don't relate to her power again, which I think is really positive mm-hmm. too. So yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. God, I would love to see all of these movies. I really would. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm going to go last here. And I'll start with my elevator pitch. The working title that I came up with, by the way, just to bear in mind as I'm reading this, is Carol's Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm thinking, so just for some context, I'm thinking that because of this vulnerability of her mind, right, that maybe we go full Legion. I don't know if you guys have seen that show, Legion. I haven't uh, on this, but oh, oh goodness. All right. We'll have to talk later about that, Jay. Okay, perfect. Uh, but here's, here's my elevator pitch. When Carol inadvertently destroys a Kree ship during hard fought negotiations to end the Kree Skrull war, hostilities erupt once again from both sides, but it's not so easy to defend lives and bring everyone back to the table when Ronan and the accusers are psychically manipulating her, or is it a vengeful sect of Skrulls doing it? Unable to tell reality from delusion, Carol must, with the help of a good friend, embark on a psychedelic journey through the cosmos to stabilize her mind before the Kree Scroll War expands to C-53, i.e. Earth, her homeworld. Oh, I love that. So, cool. <laughs> so I thought just le- like really lean into this vulnerability that she has and... By doing that, not only do you create some really difficult conflict for her to overcome, but you also you also kind of raise the personal stakes for her. And, you know, you can lean into some of the cool like cosmic stuff. But if if she's going also kind of on a journey through her own mind, that's also how you can kind of tie her into Earth as well without her necessarily even having to go there. Right. Like she might have more flashbacks. Memories might come back to her. Her memories might even be weaponized against her, you know. So I I thought that would be interesting. 
Jay, what's your initial reaction to this? Yeah, I like it. I think it solves for some of the problems that we've brought up when we've talked about um, some of our other pitches. Like, how do you connect these things? Like, mine's mine's almost completely removed from the first film, right? Right. But you're connecting these things through with this idea that a superpowered character is also most um, intimidating when they're not within their own head and someone else is in their head right because you're like oh no like they're not even that that character then has to deal with well i'm my body is doing these things even though my mind doesn't want to perhaps right and and that's there's a lot of good tension in there too so i think it's good i I like it i like it uh i think it's a we now have uh five films that we can work with here and i think it's (laughs) it's good yeah amanda your thoughts i agree with jay i i love that we're going back to just reintegrating the the Korean scroll conflict. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever happens in whatever time period that a sequel takes place in, I think we at least need a flashback to this. We need to to conclude yeah. it somehow, and I think that this is a another great way to do that. And we still get to watch her grow emotionally while righting the wrong that she inadvertently made. Yeah, and the idea was that, you know, she is basically mentally tricked into destroying it. Uh, you know, maybe it appears as something that it's not, and so she blows it up, but then she realizes it was, you know, like the ambassadorial delegation from Cree or, you know, something yeah. like that. Uh, and so there is, it was kind of my idea of pitting her against herself. Mm. Megan, what do you think? I love Mindscape stuff. Like um, <laughs> the the cool kind of sequences where she's just you know talking to the supreme intelligence in the first one those are some pretty fun sequences you know delving back Mm -hmm. into her memories and things like that so there's i i really love the idea that you're taking that kind of that aspect of the first one and expanding upon it and if looking at um kind of the cool uh kind of trippy stuff that they did with doc like just visually speaking with dr strange mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. love the idea of like the fight with captain marvel being a, a battle of the minds and taking place within a mindscape like that's really cool and it's a really good way to visually represent this psychological battle that we keep kind of circling back to because mm-hmm. you know Again, like the supreme intelligence knows that they can't just punch her because that's <laughs> that's not a thing mm-hmm. that can work. Um, so I love that you know we've all basically said that attacking her psychologically is a is a good story route, and that like a- and making that a visual journey would be really really cool. Yeah, I want to explain my Legion reference for anybody that hasn't seen that. Megan and Amanda, have you seen the show Legion on FX? I have not, but okay. Uh, but okay. yeah, it's I I know I know what you're talking about. Like uh, like yeah, basically not to worry. doing the the Captain Marvel version of the Shadow King would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Legion is about this guy named David, and it takes place in sort of the X Men universe where there are mutants with powers, and he is sort of uh, Professor X's son who is like an omega level mutant but when he grows up he doesn't understand that he have powers and he's like diagnosed with schizophrenia and so he's like medicated and he's like stuck at a mental hospital for half of his life until he starts to get 
you know, more control over his powers and, and uh, a lot of stuff happens. But the reason I, I, I kind of framed it in this way is like going full Legion is because the filmmaking in that show is very, very bold, not only visually, but just in the risks it takes with how to present the story and contextualizing things in terms of what the, the main character is perceiving in that it's not what he's perceiving is not always reality, right? It's definitely one of the uh, better shows that w- that's been on TV. It's over now. I think it had three seasons. But also, to me, definitely the best, like, mutant-related television show that's ever been made. It was oh, just wow. really, really fantastically well done, in my opinion. But it, it focused, it had a lot of focus on sort of interior experiences and a lot of it was really psychedelic and so i thought well maybe they could kind of go that direction with it um you know maybe heck maybe even get the 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 showrunner from that show to like collaborate it on it or or something like that so in in my and you know in my pitch i'm saying well the supreme intelligence is again the main you know the main villain or antagonist because i think that makes the most sense in terms of who would be behind this like psychic manipulation but that's not to rule out that she might be working with scrolls who are opposed to the peace process if you want to call it that you know yeah uh, people who want to keep the conflict going or who feel like there is no chance for peace exactly or maybe they're just simply blinded by vengeance and it's like no quarter you know uh, you know, who knows? So there's a lot. I think there's a lot of possibility for like twists and turns. And, you know, she thinks one thing is the case, but then really it's something else. And people are trying to manipulate her. And she's obviously a pivotal you know, character in this whole conflict now. So I thought that would be interesting in terms of her allies. Uh, I have to admit that I'm not totally sure who would be this, you know, friend that would be going with her on her psychedelic road trip through the cosmos. But I would love it if it was either Talos or his wife. Shoot, what's her name again? Soren. Soren, thank you. That then that is a beautiful name. That would be great if it could be one of them, because if it was a scroll who's coming with her, that almost adds to the uncertainty of like who she's dealing with and what's going on, right? right. <laughs> I don't know if maybe that would be too much. But if it's not one of them, I, I would love it if it was one of the characters that we already know from the MCU. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that would be Thor, one of the Guardians of the Galaxy, or, you know, maybe somebody who was, you know, less of a major player in some of the previous films. But I would love uh, actually I'd love to hear your guys' ideas and, and who might be a good pick for, you know, her road trip buddy. I think if you pair her with one of the cosmic heroes that we've already seen, that's kind of cool because they have some shared experiences that they can draw from, especially if she's going to be, you know, if we're going to go through this timetable of seeing some flashbacks that we maybe trust or don't trust, but some of them could be real, that she actually went through some of these things, it'd be interesting for her to be able to then converse with another cosmic-oriented uh, hero. I know that there's one comic mm-hmm. which I have not read where she actually is closely associated with Rocket Raccoon, and I think it's more of a comedy uh, comic based on what I was reading about it because it was about the Flurkin and about the the Flurkin has a 
uh, a giant number of kids and and and, <laughs> right. and so i think like rocket is a good one to be kind i'd of love to see that pairing yeah it's yeah, gonna be a really be good pairing um especially because she she tends to be very she has a military background she tends to be like i, I talked about her mm. having a high moral standard she has sort of like a this is the way things are going to be done and i think pairing her with a character who's basically like uh Moral relativism, you know, like that's kind of interesting, you know. So nice I've, contrast. Yeah, it's a nice contrast. I think it could be could be pretty fun. When you were saying all of that, another character that came to mind was Gamora, the, mm. the new slash old Gamora, mm. right? Who kind of went off on her own, and then you you could even have scenes where like the Guardians are like chasing them, and then she's not sure what they're doing and why they're chasing her. And, uh, you know, I could even foresee a climax where she, like, comes back, you know, for the climax, having fixed her head or whatever happens, and she brings the Guardians, and they're all kicking butt there. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, that that would be really interesting, yeah. too. What do, you, what do you think, Megan and Amanda? No, I'm all about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Gamora uh, and Rocket. Uh, Rocket no, for Amanda, uh, that's your vote? I love, bo- I love the idea of Gamora and Rocket. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, it's... Not necessarily simultaneously, but I can see how those um, dichotomies with Captain Marvel would just be really interesting because they're so different. I think Gamora might have a lot in common with with Carol, too, in a sense. And, you know, in some sense, I mean, she was just everything she went through with Thanos, uh, with him sort of appropriating her, kidnapping her from her home, raising her, controlling her. That just kind of came to mind. And what were what were you going to say next? Uh, you were Megan. I uh, yeah no. Uh, just I concur with all of that, and it's also like I love the idea of her teaming up with the Guardians of the Galaxy just in any capacity. <laughs> um, they should team up with everyone. I think. Honestly, it's great. Like just like looking back at Infinity War, the the way the Guardians interacted with Thor, like this uh, <laughs> this other super powerful, um, you know, mm-hmm. being, which I I thought was really great, really fun. So I think it'd be really fun for to also see their dynamic, especially because she is just as snarky as anybody else on their team. So mm-hmm. like, and and I loved what you said about her her parallels with Gamora, and I, I think also just. Anybody who has as much intergalactic experience as she does, you know, traveling to different worlds and dealing with all different types of alien species, like, I think it's really cool seeing how somebody who kind of comes from that that very similar understanding of the universe, seeing them interact mm-hmm. and play off of one another would be really fun. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other characters, but those seem like really good choices right now. I mean, her main goal for the film, just to move on, I think would be, I mean, her her main sort of plot goal is to just bring the Kree Scroll War to, to an end, just like she said in the first movie. But the need that she's going to have is, in a sense, to kind of repair these fractures in herself. But I'd also, we kind of touched on this in a couple of your other pitches, but like this idea that she has to make some personal sacrifices to realize her her dreams and her ambitions. You know, I, I would love it if she was presented with this choice where she could go one way and sort of focus more on herself and self-care and, you know, <laughs> you know maybe uh, having a, a slightly less crazy life or... She could make a big sacrifice and go back and continue, uh, you know, bringing this war to an end and deconstructing the the Kree Empire and and all of this stuff. 
Did so. uh, Did you ever watch um, Justice League Unlimited while it was on? No, I did not. There is an episode, I believe, I don't remember the name of the episode, but it was written by Paul Dini, who um, worked on the first season of Lost and uh, <laughs> obviously is uh, made made a huge name for himself during um, Batman the Animated Series run. But um, there is an episode where a some sort of alien entity latches itself onto Superman and basically basically per, like creates and puts him in a coma basically and in his mind he's presented with this beautiful fantasy of an undestroyed krypton and he's living mm. a normal kryptonian life there so and um you know wonder woman and batman are on the outside trying to save him <laughs> right while while he's having this internal journey of like what a normal life for him on krypton would have been and uh. so i like the idea of the supreme intelligence giving carol like this this like somehow figuring out a way to trap her and then trap her in this fantasy of like she stayed on earth with an idyllic Ma life yeah yeah she stayed on earth with maria uh, raising monica and like mm -hmm. um you know staying as a member of the air force and like everything like that and yeah it's just an idyllic normal life and then like either through her friend like and yeah having to make that choice of like do i stay in this beautiful world or do i go back to reality <laughs> essentially like and the, the yeah theory about learning whether or not you know whether or not this fantasy world is even real you know like there's a lot of cool stuff you could do i with love that, so that. I'm, and I'm that could even in and, you know, that could even inform a, like a real decision at the end of the movie, because maybe at the beginning of the movie, you set up like she's looking at a picture of Maria and Monica Rambeau and she's kind of wistful about like, man, I got to wrap this up so I can go back and like, you know, be with them and this and that and the other. But then as a result of going through this whole magical mystery tour and being, you know, being presented with such a stark choice and temptation when she finally overcomes that, that maybe allows her at the end of the movie in the epilogue perhaps to to come to this decision where she's like, no, I, I have to stay out here. You know, there there are important things that I you know want to take care of and I'm just going to have to sacrifice some of these personal things. Like maybe it could be set up in that way. Jay, what do you think? I dig it. I like it. I, again, this is like uh, I think we've done Feige's job for him, and I think he just needs to uh, <laughs> maybe throw us a few dollars here and there. Yeah, and, I'll send him uh, this episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll be waiting for our checks in the mail. That's right. right. Exactly. Right. Get those, right. those royalties yeah. coming. So I think I've I've actually talked about the themes that I want to explore, just in terms of you know her kind of repairing these fractures within herself and and making these decisions to to really try and stand for something greater but at this it's like it's weird because with her there's a, a certain amount of selfishness and selflessness at play i think because she wants to do these uh these amazing things and she has this ambition and this drive you know but at the same time she's she is trying to do it for a greater purpose so uh, i think that's something fun to explore so i think that really brings us to about the end of our conversation and i want to thank everybody so much for being here and i did just want to ask everybody for some for some final thoughts on uh on this whole pitch business any anything else you might want to say about your own pitch 
or uh, the process of teasing out these ideas today or anybody else's pitch or just anything Captain Marvel related, can we start with Amanda? Sure. I guess the only thing I have is just, you know, emphasizing this need to let Captain Marvel play out in her own way. I think that if we're going to give her the the trilogy or you know a hundred movies um that she (laughs) deserves we have to let her grow in the same way that we let tony grow i think tony's Mm. emotional journey and this is totally biased because he's my favorite um i think his emotional journey is just so beautiful i want carol danvers to have those i love you three thousand moments and i think she deserves them And I don't care if they make a movie completely opposite of all of our pitches, so long as we get to watch her grow and evolve into the kind of MCU hero she deserves to be. Well said. Well said. Jay, what's any last comments for you? Yeah, just two really quick. Um, One, I think we definitely need a Bowflex strength competition between Quill and Thor. (laughs) 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 That's a thing we need right now. Uh, And then I also uh, thought that one of the ways that um, we can bring in sort of the next ensemble film at the end of the film that I pitched was that we could have a after credit scene where the Grandmaster sort of goes back to Galactus and says, well, Mm. we've got a problem. Thor and Danvers are back together. And Galactus is like, yeah, not worried about that. And then just completely (laughs) engulfs and takes over the planet that they were uh, trying to protect. And then we leave people with that into the next ensemble film. (laughs) Man, I didn't even think of a post-credit scene. Uh, Yeah, so that's just just those two things. I think if we have a little bit of of levity and a little bit of destruction, and then uh, that's it. Wow, that'd be really cool. Okay, well, uh, Megan, you get the last word here. Um, uh, yeah, same thing. Like as, as we've been discussing different avenues that a sequel could or should take, like, um, it makes me really excited for not only Captain Marvel's future, but the future of the MCU as a whole. Cause I know a lot of people were like, well, how do you top Thanos? Like, what do you do after Endgame? And there's still so much that can be done. And that invigorates me. And that makes me really excited. As far as my film goes like actually like I'm rewriting the ending in my <laughs> in my head after, like in the midst of our discussions um something I would like to see in the way my film wraps up is instead of like just taking down member uh members of this uh Cree team that that was assembled I I believe they're called the the stealth yeah, the Star Stealth team. Um, instead of like just taking them down, I like the idea of like kind of as we talk about like this psychological battle, kind of like actually converting them over to the good guy's side of like, hey, the Cree did a lot of bad stuff and we're just trying to make it right. I like the idea of converting some of them and then um getting a different team together uh, at the end of the movie. Um, and that's how we, you know, comprised of both Cree and Scr- 
uh, and scrolls, uh, and that's how we get the Knights of Infinite. And mm. the Knights of Infinite make it their mission to end the Kree Skrull conflict, and that you know they go off into the the space to continue Captain Marvel's mission out there, and she decides to stay on Earth to lead the Avengers. Like, I interesting. I like- I like that. Like, that's how I've rewritten the ending in my head. I, I could after... see that as, like, Captain Marvel 3 in a way, because then that sets up... Because I don't think there's going to be another Avengers movie for quite a while. Yeah. You know? Uh, Probably. There's going to be a lot of groundwork. Uh, I think in... we've described Captain Marvel 2, 3, 4, and 5 uh, today, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so. But, but no, I mean, to just to reiterate what, what Jay and Amanda have been saying, like... What Marvel needs to do is not back down in turn, like give her the movie she deserves and um, and the one that audiences, which are comprised of young women who look up to her as a role model, you know, give them the movie that they deserve to. Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, I, I actually went to go see Captain Marvel uh, two or three times in the movie theater. Because uh, usually the first time I watch a movie, I try to just turn off my analytical brain and just like enjoy it for whatever it is. And then after that, I kind of get into like hardcore like nitpicking mode. But um, the rea- like and I tend to go to the movie theater in the morning. So there would be kids there. And, uh, you know, the reactions that I heard from like the little girls that would be watching the movie sometimes and even in Endgame, there is that, you know, moment in the battle where it's like the women gather and they like take the gauntlet across the field or whatever. Like I heard these little girls just like cheer. And I thought that that is part of the reason these movies are so important. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So our plea to Marvel Studios is please give Carol Danvers the movie she deserves. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold back. Well, I want to thank every single one of you so much for coming on. Jay, Amanda, Megan, thank you so much for coming to this discussion of Captain Marvel 2. Man, you, your guys' uh, ladies and gentlemen, your ideas have blown me out of the water, really, every time. It's been, it's been a fun talk for our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us online on Twitter at Show. On uh, Instagram at Mecha Dragon Show, you can email us at mechadragonshow at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group, Mecha Dragon. Please uh, take a look. And if you have a moment, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts or your choice of podcasting platform. And give us a five-star rating and or review. It really does help out the show. And until next time, this is Captain Will signing out. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.